That is good. Hey, myself and a bunch of us were gone last week. We were in Mexico. I see a couple faces from, from the Mexico trip from last week. Actually, if you can put those pictures up, uh, just some fun stuff from, from the trip. We've gone, um, I, was, I was calculating, over 15 times. So we're, we're, we're really building a great relationship there. And, and uh, this, this trip meant a lot for a lot of reasons. Um, one, I do have to report, is if you've been there and you've heard what sounds like an orca whale coming through the, the canyons, and then we had one, one little girl there who said, Es Leon, and we're like, does she know what she's saying? She did. Some of our group went and found there is an actual African lion that one of the neighbors has, and so that was very uh, shocking to see. Um, but besides that, uh, it was good. We had, if you remember, last uh, summer we had the founders up here on stage, and we interviewed them, and and uh, they were fundraising for a library building on their their campus. There, they do a lot of remedial study and tutors that come on campus and trying to get these kids who were on the street. Uh, back up to literacy and back up to their uh, education level before entering back into public school. And so this library is a big piece of that. And that middle picture is actually, we, we got to build the bookshelves for that. So they're now being stocked and uh, opening the library, which is exciting. And we had a little girl test, strength test in the middle of them and they held, they're good. So, uh, so thank you so much for your part of that. We go a couple times a year, be looking for that. It is such an incredible experience to get to be a part of that, to see the global church. We visited the kids' church they go to down in, in Primatapia and, and uh, just, to, just to get to be a part of extending that. And then the other piece is if you're saying, wow, I wish I would have done something like that. Well, you're in luck because this upcoming Saturday, yeah, well, I got your heartstrings. This upcoming Saturday is going to be a campus work day that we're doing here. And uh, we've got some guys, um, so, some, some older guys or some, some retirees who've been doing some work uh, on the church campus midweek, usually Wednesdays. And um, they, they kind of said, hey, we could, we could use some help for a couple bigger projects. And, and uh, there's a wide array of things to do. So uh, some of it will be more construction. Some of it will be uh, cleaning in the kitchen and stuff like that. So uh, we've done some men's work days in the past. We realize we're losing half of our workforce, though. So ladies, you're invited to now. Uh, that'll be this Saturday, 8 to noon. You don't need to sign up. You can just come and join. There's a good variety of things to do. Just bring water and a pair of work gloves, and that's it. We don't have childcare, but we'll have the playground open. So if you want to bring kids and they're playing on the playground where we're doing some work on the campus, that's great. Or if they're old enough to help you, also awesome. Um, all right, before I jump into it, I gotta tell you how excited I am for today's message. Um, not necessarily because I thought the delivery was gonna be phenomenal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't wanna, don't wanna uh, oversell myself here, but because the point of this text today is one that I struggled with for a very, very long time. It's a simple point. It's a small point. It's a small mindset change of something that you already have the words for, yet drastically changed the way I saw myself before God. And it is something, I was talking to Ryan about it this morning, that I think in our ministry, it is the number one issue that we see believers coming to us with or speaking from is this issue. We're gonna jump into it. So I am, I've, I've been wanting to talk about this topic for a long, long time. Um, and then luckily today, the, the text is, is saying this topic. So I'm very, very excited to get to talk about this with you today. Let me pray and then we're gonna jump into it. Dear Heavenly Father, we all come to you from different walks of life, different paths, different journeys different places in our spiritual life. But Lord, we all need you. 
we thank you for that unifying fact. And we thank you for the fact that no matter where we are, you meet us and you call us to more. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so my wife and I have two kids, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And um, uh, when we first started having kids, we heard parents use this quote a lot of the days are long and the years are short. Have you heard that before, parents? Have you heard that before? That the days are long and the years are short. And it's really, really true because there are some times the days feel so slow, right? When you are, I was uh, sick recently. Um, and being sick while changing diapers and while trying to wash with the kids, it is, it is rough. Or those days where, you know, the, the three-nager is having their tantrums and, you know, so many, so many, whatever. There's some times where the days are so slow and you finally reach out to friends because misery loves company. You're like, can we just, like, go to Chipotle together and, like, you just, just have the kids there because the day is so slow, the day is so long. Yet at the same time... I turn around and, and I, I remember when for so long I was, I was hoping and waiting for our girls to start walking when they were still crawling for a very long time. Uh, and now I can't remember what it's like to hold them as an infant, right? It just like somehow you look up, you're like, wow, you see a picture. Like I can't even imagine them uh, without a full vocabulary. I can't imagine them not running around. I can't imagine them this small. I can't imagine them like that. Um, these days can feel slow, but the years can go by so fast. And I know it's only a three-year-old. I'm sure the parents of older kids are saying, just wait. But still, it's, it's funny how that can happen, how you can look up and they can be growing so fast. And that can be sad at times. But I want to ask you, uh, imagine the opposite. Wouldn't that be difficult if, even, if they're not growing? You see, me, myself, I was a late bloomer when it came to the... Um, the, the avenue of potty training when I was a kid, right? I was, uh, I was quite late in, in that. I don't know what standard is, but I guarantee you I was past it. It's so late that I can remember elements of being potty trained, right? Most people don't have that, but I, I remember fighting that pretty hard. And um, there were some different theories as to why it was so difficult for me to be potty trained. Um, some, some would say stubbornness. Uh, others, if you know me, you know I look for a side hustle in everything. So they started bribing, and I said, well, what else you got? And what started with Skittles ended with a day at Disneyland. So I think I held out. Yeah. Um, no one tell my girls that. Yeah. In the end, though, the reality is that why it took me so long to get potty trained was that I just didn't mind. I didn't care. It didn't bother me. It really didn't. Just being in my own waist, I don't think it really bothered me back then. <laughs> If it would have bothered me, I would have been more, you know, compliant with the changes that are happening. But I was, I was fine. I was fine. Didn't bother me. I chose in that avenue of life to stay in a sense of infancy. I chose to stay where I was. Arrested development, you call it, right? That even though your body's growing, you're just, you're not actually developing. You're just choosing to stay in that position of infancy. Now, I share that self-glorifying story that I'm so glad we all know now. <laughs> I share that because this is what the author of Hebrews uh, is actually beginning to accuse this, this audience of. The writer of Hebrews is writing to an audience that is facing a lot of challenges. It's a church that has been established, that he's helped establish, but he's writing back to them as they are facing uh, persecution, 
and they are facing ridicule from within their Jewish community, their own families. That would be incredibly difficult. And then on top of that, they're at the mercy of the Roman state, which is becoming more and more illegal to be Christian. So they're facing this persecution all around them, and he's trying to let them know that if they do not mature in their faith, that their faith won't survive. If they don't grow up in that, they won't survive. It was a good try, Sarah. We got, we got 10 minutes in. I told her she sat up front. I was like, that's bold. But yeah, anyways, one-year-old's adjusting. This author of Hebrews is writing, and there is a tension in the air. As this church is continuing to meet, this church is continuing to gather, but as they do, there are faces that are disappearing every month. What happened to that family? Was it persecution? Or was it too much you know, social persecution or ridicule or anxiety that they finally just, just renounced their faith and just stopped coming? As I said, there's this tension in the air that he is writing to because that is hard on a community. They're seeing families disappear as people are leaving their faith and returning to, to either the Jewish faith before or turning to paganism wherever they came from. And so the writer of Hebrews writes them, and throughout this entire letter, is making an argument for why Jesus is greater than whatever it was they were turning to. That Jesus is greater. Remember why Jesus is greater than, than what it is you are being pulled back into. In chapter 4, the writer encourages them to find rest in God, true rest that makes them whole, what they would call shalom, peace. He extends that, that, that while Scripture, the law, to those who were raised Jewish, is masterfully effective at exposing sin, it will cut you to pieces. And so even more so, you need to find atonement. But good news, we have the greatest high priest of all time in Jesus. Quick passage from 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I, Ryan and I were joking. We've always heard that passage quoted in, in sermons about how powerful Scripture is. And yes, it is. But he's giving this in terms of saying how exhausting that is. In, the, in, this, in this piece of the sermon on, on needing to find rest and the need for a high priest, he's saying, look, if you want to return to the law from your high priest Jesus, this is what you're facing. The truth of the law will cut you to pieces as you try and find your own holiness in front of it. None can stand up to that. He keeps going. He says, since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is what Ryan was teaching last week. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. If I had to sum up where this sermon today is going... It's pretty close to there. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in a time of need. To find shalom, find this peace in God because you know that you have Christ as your mediator, as the broker of your salvation. 
Then the writer begins to get into exactly how Christ is our high priest and what kind of a high priest he is and how he functions as a high priest he is. Kind of the, the nuts and bolts of our justification of how you stand sinless before God. And then he stops. He stops quickly for today's text. And it's still, I had to bring that up because this is what he's still talking about. He's still talking about approaching the throne of grace with confidence because we have our high priest that will give you a sense of rest or freedom, as Ryan had been saying this past two weeks, give us freedom. But then all of a sudden, he stops and we get to verse 11, which is where we start our text today. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 620. About this, he says, we have much to say that is hard to explain. Since you have become dull in understanding. What happened to that? Uh, re- just find rest. And isn't it nice we have a mediator? He comes out swinging. It's hard to explain this because you have become dull in understanding, sluggish in understanding, some translations say. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Where is this comforting find rest? Suddenly he stops and he pulls these punches. Or he doesn't pull the punches. He's saying, I've already told you this. This author writing to this audience, I've told you this multiple times and you should know it by now and not need me to tell you this again. Let's think about this illustration a little bit. I love this illustration of milk versus, versus meat. And I know how we hear it at first is a little bit offensive, but let's, let's dive into it a little bit. Think about an infant for a bit. Is, is milk bad for an infant? No. It's not. It's good for them. It is appropriate for them. But if you saw a high schooler being breastfed, getting topped off in the car before going into school, <laughs> everyone's faces. I wish you had my perspective. <laughs> um, is that good, right? The issue is not the milk. Milk is good for an infant. It is good. It is appropriate. It is right. For someone who is beginning in their faith. We should grow to solid food though. Now can you give an infant steak? My wife said no. She said stop it. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Of course not. But then how does this infant, this baby grow to be able to eat solid food? What does it eat in the meantime? It eats milk. It eats milk and it needs to drink and digest and be nourished by this milk to grow to a point that it can then consume solid food. And this writer's argument is that if you never digest this milk that you are receiving every time you gather, you will never grow to a point of being able to handle solid food. You will remain a spiritual infant. And why this author is talking about this, because he's looking at this church that's facing persecution, that's, that's feeling this tension in the air and saying... If you don't grow to eating solid food, you won't survive. Your faith won't survive. Now, it's funny, is in our context, if you 
uh, live in a Christian environment, and your neighbors are Christian, and your, your, your whole community comes to church with you, and your family's all Christian, and, and your kid's going to Christian school, and like, if you're doing all of that, you could probably get pretty far on milk. If you're facing the kind of persecution that they are facing, he's saying you won't last on this milk. So it's important that we set this up the right way that you see this. Because I think when we first hear that, we say, okay, well, well milk must be bad and we need to be at food. No, no, the whole point is that milk is, is good and appropriate for the people who should be drinking milk. But if you've been drinking milk for too long, have you become dull of understanding and you are not growing in your appetite for more. So what is spiritual milk? He begins to define it in, in chapter 5 or 6, verse 1. He says, Therefore, let us go on towards perfection, leaving behind the basic teachings about Christ and not laying again the foundation. Another translation I found, I love the way this commentator said this. He said, So then let us leave standing the elementary Christian teaching and be carried forward to the goal of spiritual maturity, not laying again the foundation. It's not that this milk is bad. It's not that these teachings were bad. It's that they are the foundation. They are where you started your faith. And are you looking back years later saying, I'm still there? VBS is so good. VBS is where these kids will get milk for this time, the spiritual milk, where they will come to accept Christ. But if your kids are coming home from VBS and you're saying, I think I'm at the same level of understanding as them, that should cause some concern. That should cause some question. You should have this desire to be growing. But even when I say that, I know what you hear is I need to grow to be more holy. I need to grow to be better about cutting some sin out of my life. I need to grow in how much of scripture I understand. And that's where our natural tendency goes. And that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is growing in your confidence to be able to approach the throne of grace. This concept, concept is simple. And I'm just going to beat it over the head for like eight different ways. And I'm hoping that this sinks in. Because the, the, the effects of this are massive. They're massive. So milk is not bad. It's just that it's a starting point. And he begins to define, define this milk, this, this foundation, this starting point. As he goes on, he says, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. He's defining what this milk is. It's repentance from dead works, defining faith in God, faith in Christ. Instructions about baptisms and laying on the hands, you know, pray, uh, laying on of hands, prayer and baptism. Uh, a teaching about resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, if you see these things, this isn't like just be nice to your neighbor. These are, might feel like heavy things. These might feel like the gospel message, because it is. To abandon our dead works, the ways that we're trying to earn our salvation, and instead just have faith in God. Uh, to learn how to function as a church through baptisms and prayer, and to even learn uh, uh, matters of salvation, like resurrection and eternal judgment, to, to learn these things. He's calling those things milk. And what I want to keep arguing through this thing is it's not that you haven't heard this, but he's asking, have you digested it? Do you believe in it? Do you believe in it enough to have confidence in it? And what does that look like? And we will do this, verse 3, if God permits. We will go beyond this. We will go beyond these basic building blocks of the gospel that he calls a milk. We will go beyond these principles of the foundation of our faith. 
You know, as I was saying before, um, I've been in vocational ministry 14 years, and, and we will still have people come in all the time. People have been Christians for decades. And sometimes they'll overtly say it is, am I really saved? They'll ask that. And I'll ask them, okay, well, um, have you prayed the sinner's prayer? Did you genuinely believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to this earth to die for you, absolving your sins, and through him you have relationship with God? And they'll say, yes, yeah, I believe that since, since I was in fifth grade. But then they'll say, yeah, but, but since then I've done some stuff. I've done some, I've done some real stuff. Ryan's message last week when he ended of the, uh, the guy having a hard time with confession Luckily, I've never had that conversation with anyone armed like that. That was kind of scary. Um, but, oh yeah, now everyone's going to watch YouTube last week. They want to hear that one. Um, but uh, this is a common, common conversation. Is it, well, I know I've said that prayer, but, but I, I've, I've, I've done some stuff since then. Or I, I'm not a good person. Or they'll come to church, and, and there's, I love when I've gotten this comment. I got this comment from a young couple one time, and they said, we come to church, and it feels like everyone hears their marriage is just perfect, and like, we fight at home. And I was just like, I don't know where you're getting that, um, that feel, and no, it's not. Everyone's marriage is not perfect, um, and, and I can attest to that myself. Uh, but more significant is why do you need to feel that your marriage is perfect to be here? God looks at you with grace, has forgiven your faults, and loves you and accepts you. Isn't that enough? And we'll deal with this commonly. And like I said, sometimes it's overt of someone saying, uh, you know, like I said, I, 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 am I really saved? And, and sometimes it's, it's much more subtle. It's much more uh, covert of them just feeling levels of inadequacy or feeling levels like they shouldn't be here. They shouldn't belong. They shouldn't fit in because of who they are or what they've done. And yet they have accepted Christ already. You know, uh, I accepted Christ uh, for the very first time that I can remember at Green Oaks Ranch, um, Los Altos Grace Brethren, Green Oaks Ranch. Rick Piercy is not here. He's, uh, he's enjoying Big Bear right now. But uh, he was my cabin counselor. And I don't know what grade I was in, but it was young. And they, they did the nighttime chapel, and I accepted Christ. I can remember this. I'm accepting Christ. And then the next morning, they did like a second call in case you missed it, and I accepted Christ again. Because I was like, well, maybe I didn't say it right. You know, maybe it didn't stick. And then uh, pretty much every winter and summer camp for every grade going forward, I would accept Christ again. And my kind of thought is like, well, what do I have to lose if, I, if, 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 it, if I'm doing it again? You can just double up or whatever. And then, you know, laying in bed as a kid and, and, and uh, you know, seeing the scary flannel graph pictures of, of a scene of hell or something like that. And I would... I would wonder if I've, you know, voided my warranty, you could say, from things that I've done. And, and so I'd say, well, I better just, you know, accept Christ again just in case or whatever it is, right? I don't know about you guys. I accepted Christ probably a hundred times growing up. Anyone else relate? Has anyone else done that? Yes, often. Because what if I didn't do it right? Or what if something sin then has messed, since then has messed it up? Or what if he wasn't listening? He was on vacation I called at a bad time. Who knows? I was insecure of my salvation. And that is the root cause that I see as the predominant issue in most believers today, is insecurity of their salvation. Now that seems small. That seems like this whole sermon is just going to be saying, like, be confident, you know? And that's it. 
Bill, you, I just, I'll thank you, man. Yeah, every, every time. You're, <laughs> you're giving me my confidence. So it, it, this whole sermon could just feel as if, as if that's all I'm saying, and that's small, and that's petty, and like, you know, be assured, but it's not. It is massive. To be in a place of security in a relationship, a romantic relationship, a work relationship, and a relationship with your Heavenly Father, being in one of insecurity is drastically different. And you will participate in the same practices and you will have the same beliefs, but when you have it from a place of security, it is life-giving and it is joyful. And when you do it from a place of insecurity, it is just penance. And it's just trying to earn your way every step of the way and always feeling like you're falling short, always feeling like you don't belong. As I said, some will say it overtly. And some can't say it at all. They'll talk about other symptoms, but what you see is this stunted growth, this infancy. And it's, um, you know what it is? It's, it, I was thinking about this. It, it, when he says this dull of hearing, it's not that they haven't heard this before. It's that they've heard it multiple times. They've heard it too many times. They've accepted it too many times, but they're not actually believing on it enough to build on it. Um, didn't even write this down. I just thought of this illustration. We renovated our house. We removed like eight walls and did lots of big spanning beams and all that. And those go on posts and, and all that. And we, we did it all good. And my father-in-law is an engineer. He was helping us, you know, kind of think about certain things and where the loads are being carried, all that. All good. All right, comes time for drywall. Can I take one more peek? Like before we close this up, can I make sure we really got, okay, all the hanger nails are in. Can I really make sure before we close this up and don't look again? That is what having confidence looks like. And it's almost like, you know, we circle the gospel. Let's say if this, if this is the gospel, and we, and we come and we're walking around this, our entire Christian lives at church, and we accept Christ. We hear the gospel one day, and we accept Christ. Great, I'm saved. I'm feeling good, but then I, I mess up, and I, I sin, and do I need to come back? And, and, and Okay, yes, I know, I'm still forgiven. I'm still forgiven. And, okay, I'm just going to keep living my Christian life, but... But I'm not a very good Christian, and I come on Sunday, and I see some good Christians, pleated khakis and everything, and that's not me. And so, it, you know, I'm insecure in my faith, and, and I feel like my life's a mess, and their marriage is perfect, um, and mine is not, and their family is perfect, and, and mine is not. And every Sunday, Pastor Ryan gets up there and talks about other ways to be good Christians, and I feel like I'm not a good Christian. I'm not good enough. God must not like me. He must not, not, I don't even know if he wants me here. Do I need to keep every Sunday, every men's and women's retreats, every time you hear a compelling message, you are returning to accept this gospel because you're insecure of, have I actually received it? And what he's saying is you're walking around and around and around it versus standing upon it and actually growing. Think about it, if you've ever been in an in a insecure relationship with someone, a romantic relationship, and you're always afraid, am I going to do something that's going to end it? If you've ever been in that position, am I going to do something that's going to upset them or make me look bad and that's going to end it? When you're still in that courting phase. Uh, have you ever held a job that you didn't feel qualified or capable of? I remember I was a waiter at 16, and I started waiting tables long before I ever learned the menu. And so someone would say, oh, that's good. What's in that? Chicken and tomatoes. Oh, what does it come with? Uh, 
what, what do you want? You know, like, I'll, I'll make you a super salad. Like, that's fine. Whatever, whatever you want. We'll, we'll make it happen. We'll put it on the plate. Because uh, I was insecure. I was insecure of, of my ability to know that menu. You are anxious because you're not confident of where you stand. Now, I don't know if this resonated with anyone here, but if you have ever felt this anxiousness in your faith because you're not confident of where you stand before God. It sounds small, but it's detrimental. And next, uh, we're going to come back to this. This is our main point. But next, this writer gives them the severe warning of what can happen if they don't digest this milk, if they don't stand with confidence in the grace of Christ and actually mature. Um, but it is a little bit of a, of a time bomb in the middle of our section. It is the verse uh, that everyone uses to debate whether a Christian can lose their salvation or not. Um, however, it's in the context it's in this big movement of this author seeking for them to grow in maturity. And we can't lose it. That's the main point. Verse 4. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have received the gospel of Christ, who have tasted the heavenly gift, received God's grace, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and have then fallen away. And this word fallen away is a little light. In reality, in Greek, it's a little more of a rejection. It's, it's a harder thing. It's not an accidental thing. Since on their own, they are crucifying again the Son of God and are holding him up to contempt, to public shame. And he gives this illustration. Ground that drinks the rain that is falling on it repeatedly and produces a crop that is useful to those who it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and on the verge of being cursed, and in the end is burned over. So there's two ways that you can interpret this little section, these couple verses, these four verses. The first is that believers can lose their salvation. The second that uh, a lot of pastors will try and hold is that believers never really had their salvation, that they were experiencing the goodness of the church and the goodness of Scripture and the goodness of, of feeling the Holy Spirit work on them, but that they hadn't actually accepted Christ. So they came close to it, but then walked away before then, all of that. Um, I spent a solid 10 hours researching everything on this and coming down to my theological opinions on this. And then I realized that uh, within the context of this sermon, I shouldn't care because the writer doesn't. The writer is not trying to prove some eschatological truth, theological truth in this. The writer is simply trying to warn them that milk will not sustain you through the levels of persecution and trial you are facing. So don't be idle with what truth you have received. Now, if you've got your opinions on the passage, you want to talk to me, I can show you my opinions. I've got pages of research and, and things to consider and this and that or whatever. But I, that, that is a distraction right now. What matters right now is this author is trying to sustain and uphold this church that is facing persecution and is dwindling. And this soil illustration of verse 7 and 8 solidifies this idea that they, are not stand, that, that, that they are not standing upon the gospel because both are consuming water. Both are consuming this, but one is digesting it and growing and the other is just continuing to consume. Do you come every Sunday and receive a little taste of the gospel, and it feels good to be you know, in this environment. It feels good to be, to be acknowledging God and to be reminded, and you need this reminder of your forgiveness. You need this reminder of your grace to get you through until next Sunday. 
Or are you taking this truth that you receive, taking this gospel, and with confidence, accepting it, not questioning that anymore, but, but standing on that and building your life on that? Have you heard the good news? This is a personal question for you. Have you heard the good news of Jesus? Have you experienced the grace of Christ? Have you been given a new identity as someone who is reborn? Great. What are you doing with it? Clearly, your soil is being watered. You're all in church today. Your soil is being watered. But how are you allowing that water to produce in you a life transformed, a beacon of peace for those around you, an echo of Christ's love to all those around you? Or are you just collecting man camp shirts? Right? Now, I love man camp shirts. Bill, thanks. Curtis laugh. Um, I love my man camp shirts. It's like half my closet. Uh, they're awesome. They're produced at Tank Farm. It's a nice, soft one. Scottish Redeemer Design. The 2022, it's the best. And I will look at my week and decide which day I can wear which man camp shirt because they're very comfortable. And this one looks better. And this one, you know, right? I'll do more work in this one. Love my man camp shirts. My point is, that's not the reason we come to church and go on these men's retreats to collect those. We go to that retreat to be transformed, to build upon the milk we received years ago and grow into solid food with confidence. Let me keep going. I think these next two sections really help to prove or make this argument. Verse 9 says, Even though we speak in this way, beloved, so he changes tone. Got aggressive for a second, calls them infants, uh, tells them that they have to be careful to grow or else their faith might not survive. And then, even though we speak in this way, beloved, we are confident of better things in your case. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints, and you still do. Verse 11. We want each of you to show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the very end, that you can have full assurance of that salvation you received to the very end so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators those of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, okay, some of you at this point uh, might actually disagree with what I'm saying. Might say, who are you to stand up there and tell you all to have confidence in something that I have no ability to see, right? We don't have the big book of, uh, of names like Santa Claus of who's in there and who's not. Who am I to say that you should be confident? And what I'm telling you is that I'm not saying to be confident in yourself. What I'm saying is to be confident in God, in your salvation, the book of Hebrews tells us that Christ is our high priest who has brokered your salvation. And what you're doing is questioning that. Okay, throughout all of scripture, God gives us many characteristics of himself, many ways that he defines himself. And there's lots of good answers, but, but what is the number one, the strongest one that we see all throughout the Old Testament that God is being defined as? Let me hear some answers. Someone mumbled something. Holy, absolutely. What else? Savior, yeah. What else? Righteous, yep. Faithful. Faithful. Oh, come on. <laughs> Pastor answers. <laughs> Ruined it. Am I that late on time? No, I'm good. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Fa- the answer's faithful. Move it on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, throughout all scripture, 
the biggest attribute given to God is that he is faithful. Now, I remember hearing that and, and seeing that in Scripture and kind of saying a little bit of who cares? Why is that such a selling point? It, versus if I were to read that he is loving or he's powerful, or whatever, but faithful, I don't know if I really know why that's so significant. But when you look in Scripture and think of that, for 400 years the people were in slavery. And for 400 years they held on to the fact that God said he would rescue them. When they lose the land from turning away from God, and they are exiled. The people are taken to Babylon. For 70 years, they are exiles, political refugees in another country, stripped from their land, stripped from, from much of their families and their people, and they had faith that God said he would return them. For 1,500 years, they had been getting clearer and clearer prophecies of a Messiah who was to come, and all they had was the credibility of God's character, that he is faithful to do what he says he's faithful to do. And now us, the Messiah has come. And he has uh, taken our sin on the cross and was raised from the dead. And we read in John 3.16 that all who believe in him will have eternal life. Do you believe that he will come through on his word? That's the basis. That is the, the, the foundation of this whole argument I'm making today. I'm not trying to tell you to be a confidence man of your own faith. What I'm saying is that God promised you salvation. Do you actually hang on to that promise? Do you, you know it's, um, well, okay, a little bit of left turn here. Sorry, Ryan, I'm watching it. Um, uh, there, there's lots of theories around Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Troubling passage, right? But my favorite one of all was written by a guy named Kierkegaard. And his argument was that God told Abraham he would have Isaac in this life. Abraham says sacrifice Isaac. That doesn't make sense. But you know what does? God told him he would have Abraham in this life. So maybe Isaac wouldn't die. Maybe Sarah would give birth to Isaac again. Who knows? But what he knew is that he would have Isaac in this life because he knew God to be faithful. And way more than assurances Abraham had, we have so many assurances in Scripture. As I said, John 3.16, you can study what's called the Roman Road, which is uh, in the book of Romans. It's a, it's, it's a passage by passage description of our justification, how we are atoned for. God has said that if you turn to me, if you believe in me, you will have salvation. You can take that to the bank is what I'm saying. Let's read uh, verses 13 through 20, finish off this section. When God made a promise to Abraham, this is once again going to his faithfulness, because he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath given as, commit, as confirmation puts an end to all dispute. In the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly to their heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, his faithfulness, he guaranteed by an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God would prove false... We who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. To seize it. We have this hope. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. This doesn't sound like circling the gospel. This is an anchor to be built off of. 
We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, which Ryan's going to get into next week. But if you don't recognize this imagery, this is talking about within the temple, the Holy of Holies, where once a year on the, 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 the holiday of Yom Kippur, the high priest would go through all this ritual uh, clear, you know, cleansing and then get to walk in there for one day to make one sacrifice in this Holy of Holies. And he's saying our hope, the hope that we have in Christ, enters that inner shrine behind the curtain. Do you get the tone of confidence he's saying? You have been justified. You can stand before God. If you've heard the good news, acknowledge Christ as, as God who died on the cross to forgive you and to be reunited with you, then stop circling grace and instead stand on it. Listen to this next sentence. Doing anything less isn't being humble. It isn't being irreverent. It is questioning if the cross was enough. It is questioning God's faithfulness. When you do this, as I did for decades, when you keep feeling like, I, I just, I don't know, like, am I really saved? Is my salvation really secure? What I'm actually saying is, was the cross actually enough for me? Will God actually stand by his word? It's questioning his faithfulness. We have confidence in our high priest, and he, is indeed, he has indeed absolved our sins and justified before himself. And this confidence produces what the writer calls rest and what we have been calling freedom. So much changes when you begin to live in your, your faith in that freedom rather than the, 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 the hangman hanging over you of, of, well, am I really saved or not? Uh, one quick sporting passage. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Walk upright before the grace of God, in the grace of God. Salvation leaves in salvation and security leaves us questioning Christ, questioning our standing before God, and questioning our identity, questioning our fate. And for years, if not decades, many Christians will circle the gospel, acknowledging it, even able to define it, but not experience incredible freedoms because we are questioning the work of Christ the whole time. Real quick, just because I have to end it practical. I got to make sure you understand this because I'm not going to get another shot at this message for a very long time. What does it look like to live on solid food? And I want to look through a couple illustrations of a secure versus insecure relationship like I kind of alluded to before, marital or employee, anything like that. I got married young, uh, 22, and I totally felt like I was, I'm fine. This is great. I'm old enough. And now I see a 22-year-old getting married. I officiate a lot of weddings, and I'm like, you are children. How did this happen? But... I remember I was very insecure in my relationship when we first got married. Sarah and I have talked about this a bunch. Um, to the point of this ridiculous, although some guys will relate. It was a long time before I uh, really went to the bathroom uh, in our apartment, right? I would look for any excuse to like go at work or down the street or whatever, you know, just because I was just insecure. I was insecure of how, how my new bride saw me. And I don't think I ever thought about enough to say that, oh, she would leave me. I see some people talking to each other. I'm not the only one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but I was insecure of that or here's, here's a better one for a long time I did not like Sarah coming home to see me watching TV 
Right? Oh, well, some laughs. Okay, so other people recognize this. Yeah, okay. Uh, right, and so when I knew that she was coming home, I'd like real quick be like, you know, cleaning the dishes or at the table working, you know, uh, even though I was like, yeah, on the third movie of a trilogy in reality or whatever it was. Um, because I was insecure, I wanted her to see me as uh, productive and ambitious in, 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 all the time, 24-7, you know, regimented and super disciplined or whatever. Now, like I said, I don't think she actually would have left me, but I was very insecure about how I was being seen by her. And at some point, I began to trust the vows we said and the ring we wear and understand that, that I can be confident in the relationship and that she, I'm not going to do something that she's going to leave me. And so then because of that, I look, I, I, I breathe easy. And then I look at my spouse who I love and I say, because I love them, I do want to better myself. I want to better myself in these ways. But if I mess up, you know, gosh, the other day, um, we are you know, uh, changing hands of, of childcare, whatever, and I'm coming from work, she's running for whatever, and I was very impatient. And I knew I kind of, you know, blew my lid a little bit or whatever, and, uh, you know, but, but it hit me, I was thinking about this, it's like, I, it's not like she's not going to come home after work. So I will apologize when she comes home. I'm going to take an effort to, to, to breathe easy next time and be more patient when it's frustrating and trying to, to get, you know, exchange the kids real quick and do all that. Um, but I can live in the security of a committed relationship. And think about this when it comes to your faith. Some spiritual uh, practices, uh, let's say spiritual disciplines like prayer and scripture, okay? If you are insecure in your faith, this is what you're supposed to do because uh, that's what good Christians do. They spend time in prayer and scripture. And if you don't know where your Bible is right now, you feel guilty, right? In an insecure relationship with God, that is how that would sound. Versus, you want to know the God who gives you this freedom so much more. Reconciliation, the Bible is very clear on reconciliation. When there's a strange relationships for you to be an agent of reconciliation, when you're in an insecure position in your faith, Maybe that is, sounds like this, God won't forgive me if I don't forgive them, so I better forgive them because I want God's forgiveness. Versus within a secure relationship with God, I hold immeasurable gratitude of the grace I've been shown, and I no longer need to, to hold other people's faults because I remember what God's release of mine. Generosity, God might not bless me if I don't give, versus I have already been given what matters most. So when I see someone in need, I can bless them. Sanctification, that's a big word. We talk about it a lot in here, whether we define it every time or not, I don't know. It's this idea that when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you and it is making you look more like Jesus every day. It is working on your heart. The fruit it produces in your life, we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, uh, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that the Holy Spirit is producing in your life. If you are in an insecure place in your faith, you're circling the gospel, not confident of your salvation, you, these would all look like a very, very brutal list that you are not living up to. Or once again, to be a good Christian to do it. Or out of love for God, I want to become more like Christ. And so I am entering into that. And when I mess up, like I did with my patients, I know that God still loves me. I know that God still forgives me. And I want to I keep growing in that. But if you've ever tried to diet, and then you fall off the wagon, 
and then you just burn the wagon and go straight to Little Caesars? Anyone? <laughs> That's going to be what it's like when you're in this insecure relationship with God, is you're trying to put on this facade, this fake, that, that you're now holy now today because I you know, accepted Christ yesterday, but then you mess up, and you're like, well, I guess I'm not. I guess I'm, I'm just the same person I was before. Versus, no, no, God's grace still extends to today. And I'm confident of that. And I want to continue to grow to be more Christ-like. So confident of your salvation, you will explore these with gratitude of your own freedom. With salvation insecurity, you attempt these challenges out of guilt or feelings of inadequacy. Uh, I want to end with one verse, and it was the biggest verse in my own faith of learning to be confident of my salvation. And I've read it in here like three times this year. But it's, that's why. It's called the doxology. It's found in the end of Jude. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. And uh, I used to say this every day. Uh, like, an, like, an, like an alcoholic saying, saying the prayer, the sobriety. I mean, I, I, this, this was just because I was trying to believe it. I knew the gospel. I accepted the gospel, but I was trying to actually believe it, and finally it sunk in, that not only does Christ present you blameless, he does it with great joy. Nothing makes God happier than getting to see you as blameless and be reunited with you. It's, you didn't just get in by the skin of your teeth. He didn't do it begrudgingly. He is excited, rejoices, is thrilled to extend his grace to you and usher you into his family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today we heard what we've heard so many times. We've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you sent your Son, yourself in the flesh, to take our sin that we may be reunited with you. And yet, Lord, today I hope, I hope, I hope, that we actually stood on it, we actually believe it, that we stop questioning our salvation. If we've actually said that prayer, that we stop questioning our salvation, but we take confidence in it, and we approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not that you're staring over the throne with a scowl of judgment, but you look over the throne filled with joy that we had the confidence to approach you again every day. Lord, we love you and we are amazed that you continue to love us, but you do. Give us the confidence to hold on to that, that we can build on that and grow to solid food, to the deep truths, to the fullest experiences of you from that confidence. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you all stand?